Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Can we pray for just 30 seconds before we jump into this? Heavenly Father, I ask you today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring every single one of these words and these thoughts to life. Lord, the last thing anybody needs is to hear from me. But what we all want and what we all need and we require it the most is to leave church today feeling, knowing and sensing like we have just heard from you. So help these words come to life and drop and fall as seed into the depths of all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are jumping into week one of the blessing of being stuck. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but Apple, who probably have made 90-something percent of most of your iPhones, they have a failure rate on their handset device that is actually, I think, less than 1% now. In other words, it is highly unlikely that if you are an owner of an Apple iPhone handset, it's highly unlikely that you're ever going to encounter or experience any sort of problem with that device because their failure rate is so incredibly low. What's interesting is that in my house, there is one member of our family who is a constant recipient of the 1% handsets that seem to never actually work. And that would be my wife, Emma. I mean, like, she's got nails on her fingers that are so long, the iPhone won't even read her fingerprints. And she's like going, this is a stupid device. Why do we have these? And I'm like, maybe if we just cut the nails, hun, maybe that would work. And often you hear this, like, chattering. Sometimes you can be lying there or sitting there and you can hear this tapping. And you're like, what, what is that noise? Have we got, like, a mouse? And it's, no, it's Emma just texting away and, and using her phone. And it doesn't matter whether it's a password on iCloud. She always forgets them. She always misplaces where her apps are on her phone and then doesn't know how to move them back. And she's continuously saying to either me or one of the boys, and we've got three boys, two of them live with us. She's like, hey, can can you just find where my banking app has gone? Like, Apple's just taken it off. And it's like, no, you've just moved it to page two. We'll bring it back for you. And, um, And that tends to be how it works. So, She has this ongoing difficulty in just sending out messages. So she's got onto the fact that I tend to use voice messaging all the time. And actually, a lot of my friends hate me for doing it because they're like, I can't listen to your voice message when I'm driving. But I like use Siri and dictate a message or record a voice memo. And she's been getting into the habit of doing the same. But um, again, having this 1% hand hand, uh, handset that Apple give out and it's clearly got the fail rate that she's always in possession of, it doesn't always work out well for her. In fact, in lockdown, she was just having a bit of a tech session, you know, with one of her girlfriends and one of them sort of like was explaining a bit of a situation that they were going through and it was hard and it was difficult. It was a challenging time in their life. And Emma, because she is, she's a pastor, she leads a church, she's got a heart for people. She did whatever every pastor would do. She, she responded in a loving and a kind way. In fact, Even in our marriage, we struggle sometimes to agree on what is a loving and kind way to communicate. Because when I text Emma, I will give her like one word answers 
okay, yeah, no. Whenever she texts me, it's always like pages and it always is filled with loads of kisses at the end. And sometimes she'll even say to me like, why do you not ever, are you in a mood with me? You didn't put any kisses. And I'm like, I, I'm not in a mood with you at all. Like there is nothing, oh, you only put two kisses, not three. I was like, is that even a thing? Like, oh, apparently three kisses is everything is okay in life. Two kisses is everything is not great. Well, Emma decided being a pastor, she was gonna to respond to her friend that was going through an incredibly difficult time. And what she said to her was, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Do you want to do coffee? Kiss, kiss, kiss. Because that's how she reads into her iPhone. But what she actually sent was, I'm so sorry, do you wanna have sex, sex, sex? <laughs> XXX is not always picked up by Siri in an appropriate format. So I just want to apologize if my wife texts you and um, I, I, I'm so sorry. And I've just realized she's not once ever texted me that. And I feel somewhat <laughs> aggrieved by that, um, that other people in the church have an offer from my wife that I am still yet to be a recipient of. Life is incredibly unfair at times. Like Emma with her iPhone, she's completely beyond help. There are some situations that we all face in our lives too that can make us feel like this is just beyond help. Have you ever found yourself in a time or a season where you feel like life is just challenging? You've got a trial, you've got a difficulty, something's going on in the family, something's going on in work, and it just feels to you like, man, I, I, I am so stuck right now. In fact, I'm so stuck and the main reason for me not being able to move anywhere is because I just don't feel like I've got any options. It's kind of like you've tried to map it all out in your mind's eye and the options that you've got are just absolutely rubbish. And it leaves you at a place where you just kind of feel stuck and you feel like, man, I, I, this is just beyond help. What I'm dealing with right now is just beyond help. So if you've ever felt like that, I'm gonna hopefully encourage you to believe in God to say that all is not lost today. But have you ever noticed this, that there are certain things in life that we all like to avoid? Like, why is it that kids always want to avoid having vegetables, especially anything that's green on their plate, right? You know, we have this constant battle when our kids were growing up just to get them to eat a piece of fruit or a vegetable. And yet, the very thing that's good for us is the very thing that we want to ignore and not have. It's the same with exercise, isn't it? We all know, like nobody needs telling that exercise is good for you. You know, if you wanna lose some weight, the best thing you can do is get out there and exercise. If you wanna have a more stable mental health and balanced life, one of the best things that you can do for that is exercise. And yet it's often the case, right, that the things that are good for us aren't always what comes naturally to us. We tend to avoid the things that we know deep down are good for us. And it's exactly the same in terms of the Bible too. There are some things that are contained within the scriptures, and the Bible, by the way, is just this amalgamation of, of all of these ancient manuscripts that have been proven to be historically accurate over hundreds and thousands of years. There is text within the scriptures that if we're really honest, even, even though we know that they might be good for us, we don't want to believe them or use them or exercise in them because we know that it's just not the most enjoyable thing to hear or to listen. And actually today, we're gonna to focus on what I would almost refer to as a vegetable in the Bible. It's something that's really good for you, but it's not something that you actually wanna partake of. 
We're going to talk about something that actually the person who was the brother of Jesus spoke, which is always just mind-boggling to me. But he makes this statement, and he's encouraging us to know what to do when it feels to you like there's nothing you can do. And yet, if I'm going to be honest, I don't even like what he says. If I'm going to be really honest, and I get it, I'm not supposed to say that. I lead a church. I'm supposed to love every single word that's in the Bible. But the truth is, I don't even like what he writes about the answer to this question. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? But it's important that we take, listen and take note of the very thing that James, who was Jesus' brother, encourages us to do when it feels like there's nothing you can do. Because there are just so many times and seasons, and we're all the same in this, in your life and in mine, when we just hit challenges and it feels like there aren't any options. I mean, right now, globally, when we look and consider everything that's happening across Europe right now, especially with Russia and Ukraine and how it's all gone crazy. It can feel to us watching it on BBC News, like, man, when is this gonna stop? When is this gonna let up? And it can feel to us like there's just nothing that we can do. You know what, actually, at the very end of church today, we're gonna provide to you a very practical way that you can get right involved in the Ukrainian refugee crisis with the thousands of people that are exiling the Ukraine and flooding into Poland because we've got connections there and we're gonna talk to you about ways in which you can practically help that. In other words, that the local church here in Liverpool in the UK can help other churches out in Poland accommodate refugees that are flooding into their towns and cities. We're going to tell you how you can do that. But it's still the same, isn't it? Whether we're talking about global political events that are happening on the other side of Europe that leave us feeling like there's nothing we can do. It's the same in our homes too. Sometimes it just feels like there's nothing you can do when you know you're not going to get the grades to graduate and there isn't enough time left for you to go back and study. What are you going to do when all of a sudden redundancy looms and you never saw it coming? You loved that job. You thought it would be a job for life. And now you know it's not going to be. And there's nothing you can do. What do you do when something blindsides you in life, completely takes you out, and now you can't work, which means for you, the business has got to close. Like, what do you do when it feels like there's nothing you can do? Like, what do you do when the relationship just falls apart? And you know what? It's not really your fault. It's not their fault. It just is what it is. The divorce papers land and you're like, man, this isn't what I planned for my life. But now you're there. You're in it. You know there's nothing that you can do. It's not what you'd hoped for. It's not what you dreamed for. But that's your reality. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? Going back to James, who was the brother of Jesus, I think that we would be foolish if we were to discount what he would say. But I understand that there is a tension. Sometimes when we read the scriptures that give us practical advice about what to do when there's nothing we can do, we could almost look at it and perceive that the writers who penned these scriptures to us would have had no clue about what was going on in my life. In other words, we can discount what they've got to say because we perceive them as having no clue at all about what we would do when you lose a job in 2021 or what we would do when your relationship breaks down in 22. Like they'd have no clue about how to deal with that. And then you start to look at the context of their lives. And where James is concerned, you start to realize, oh no, actually, here is somebody that understood full well exactly what it was like to live with trials and difficulties and challenges. 
because he was the first leader of the first church in Jerusalem. And everybody in Jerusalem that was Jewish didn't like him or his church. And they pulled all of the support from them for the temple. In fact, things got so hard for James when he was leading his church in Jerusalem that even the Apostle Paul, when he would travel around preaching about Jesus all across the Mediterranean rim, that he would take up an offering for James's church in Jerusalem because they had nothing. When you look at James's life, this is what you can see. History will tell you this. Even if you're not a Bible-believing person, history will prove to you that James was somebody that continuously dealt with a community in crisis. So he knew of the heartache and pain that you've experienced. He knew of the difficulties. He knew of the challenges. He knew that your life gets hard sometimes. James knew that even your life can suck sometimes because he experienced it as well. So James, who was the brother of Jesus, in the book of James, chapter one, verse two, starts to give some advice about what you can do when you feel like there's nothing you can do. Now, I'm just gonna let you know don't shoot the messenger today, okay? Uh, for some of you, you might feel like I'm just the bearer of bad news because you're not gonna love what I'm gonna tell you. But I'm just saying, like, it wasn't me that wrote it. I'm just the one that's gonna share some thoughts and ideas around it. But if you're like me, you'll probably hear it at first and be like, seriously, you're not got anything better? But when we dig deep into the reality of what James was trying to convey to us, this can be a game changer. So James, in chapter one, Verse two, oh, and let me tell you this. I, me, I've swapped the way the verses read at first. So I don't want anybody emailing me, okay, and saying like, you're messing with the Bible, you can't do that. We're gonna piece it all back together at the end, I promise, okay? But just for me, in my mind, it just made so much more sense when we switched it round first. So it says this, whenever you face trials, of many kinds, and even on that, let's just pause there for a moment. Notice how James does not say, if you face trials of many kinds. What James says is, whenever you face trials, in other words, he's agreeing with what Jesus said, because Jesus in the Gospels, he actually said, look, just so you know, even if you're a Christian, even if you're a part of a local church, do not think that just because you follow me, it's going to equal a pain and problem-free life, because you're going to experience troubles and hardships and difficulties in this world. And James was saying the same thing. He didn't say, if you face trials, he said, oh, by the way, like, whenever you face a trial, Whenever something happens that you didn't see coming, whenever something blindsides you, because it's gonna happen, he says this, whenever you face many kinds of trials, the type of trial that you can't pray your way out of, you can't obey your way out of, you can't attend church your way out of, you can't faith your way out of. It's like it is what it is and there's nothing that you can do. Like those kind of trials. And when, G when James is saying whenever you face them, that word face, what it actually implies is whenever you've been taken by surprise by something in life, when something happens that's unexpected, now, that's what we all know a little bit about. We've all been in those times and seasons. You've had a diagnosis from the doctor. You've had an exam not go the way that you'd have hoped. You'd have been told no for the promotion in work. When something happens to you that is unexpected, when something happens to your business, when something happens in your family, whenever you feel like you've got zero options, that's what a trial is. Now, 
James's response, it annoys me and it's gonna annoy you too because this is what he goes on to say. Like, whenever it feels to you like your life is hitting the fan, whenever it feels to you like there's nothing you can do, whenever it feels to you like everything that's happening around you is not what you would choose, this is what he goes on to instruct us to do. He says, consider it pure joy brothers and sisters. Like, that for me, that just sucks right there. I mean, seriously, James, have you not got anything better there? Like, you just want us to be happy all of the time? It just annoys me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, when you just feel a little bit mad, you're like, is that all you got? Like, is that the only thing you've got to offer us? Like, you can be facing all kinds of craziness, and the best advice you can give us is, well, just be happy. Just count it all joy. But the reality of it is, is this. James knew something about your trials and your difficulties. And he knew something about the times and the seasons when you feel like there's nothing that you can do. And how it's during those seasons alone that God can teach you something that he cannot teach you in any other stage or season of life. In other words, it's kind of like he has your complete and total attention. He was trying to encourage us There is a way and there is a reason for the pain that you're experiencing. This isn't just happening by chance. There's a story that's going on behind the scenes of your life. And just because it's not up front doesn't mean that the story isn't playing out. And then he goes on to say, consider it all joy. Verse three, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, because you know, and I love this, um, aren't you the same as me? Do you find that whenever you're facing challenges and struggles, you find that your faith life is so detrimentally affected, it's like you, you begin to lose sight of who God is, because everybody knows it's easy to follow God and come to church when life is amazing and the bank balance is fun and all the kids are healthy and COVID isn't a thing. It's easy to be a Christian, right, when life is going great and what actually James is saying, look, because you know that something can come out of this, but if you would just press pause, if you would just press stop, if you would just re-examine, re-evaluate, readjust your thinking regarding how you perceive everything else that's going on around you, you would see that God is up to something because you know that it's the testing of your faith that makes something in you. The testing of your faith. In other words, it's that that is the process that God uses to determine the authenticity of your faith. In other words, if you wanna know how real your faith in God is, then see how you act and respond when you feel like you're in a trial or a challenging time or season. That is the moment where the authentic nature of your faith is proven because we know that trials, when it feels like you're in a season where there's nothing you can do, It's those times that expose the authenticity of your faith. We could actually say it like this. It exposes how much you have confidence in God. Because you don't need a lot of confidence in God when everything's great, right? But when your world is struggling and life feels abrasive, James is saying, and you know that it's this testing of your faith that exposes the authenticity of your confidence in God. In fact, another way of saying it would be this. When circumstances begin to deteriorate, superficial faith deteriorates also. 
In other words, when your world starts to collapse and things happen that you didn't want, you didn't hope, you didn't pray for, so very quickly does your faith. And James is saying that it's through these trials that your faith is made authentic, genuine. It's proven that you in those times and seasons have a confidence in God. You really start to be able to see what God might be up to during a time of trial or difficulty or challenge. But he goes on to say, doesn't he, but this testing of your faith, it makes something, it produces something. And the word that he uses is perseverance. In other words, we could say like this, what James is saying is, is that during these times and seasons that you hate, that there's nothing you can do, you can't fix it, you can't mend it. During those times and seasons, that's where God gets your faith muscle strong. And without those times of difficulties and challenge and struggle and frustrations, your faith muscle stays weak. This is the only way to grow in your faith in God. In fact, one of the things that I've learned is this, you learn nothing from the good seasons of your life, nothing. You will always learn and grow more in life and especially in your confidence in God during the times and seasons that you hate, you don't like, you don't appreciate, and you have no time for, that you feel stuck, like there's nothing that you can do. It's in those times that perseverance gets to work and it makes your faith life stronger. Verse four, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's saying this, hey, if you wanna have fully fledged, grown up adult faith that isn't just tossed around by the storms of life, just so you know, you get that by staying confident in God during the trials and difficulties and challenges that you face. He was saying that's how they come to you, but whatever you do, you've got to let perseverance finish its work. It's kind of like James's way of saying to us, whatever you do, guys, like, don't leave the gym early. <laughs> because if you've ever been to the gym, like for some of you boys, maybe you've been on a bench press, everybody knows, right, that numbers one to five, you can push them out pretty easy. But everybody knows that your muscles get big and they tear and then they repair after six. In other words, you get on the bench and it's always on rep seven, eight, nine, and 10, on sets three and four, when your muscles are being torn and it's hard and it's difficult and you feel the burn and you feel your pain and yet it's that that's needed to see your physical strength and grow all the more. It's that that's vital to see your muscles gain strength. And Paul say, James is saying the same thing about your faith. He's like, just so you know, you've got to let this process finish out. Don't quit. Like, don't stop on six like we spoke the other week. Don't get on a bench and start lifting. And then as soon as it feels heavy, feel like, oh, I'm going to stop now. This is too heavy. You have to lift beyond that breaking point. James is going, let perseverance finish its work. Because what if, what if the thing that you want removed is the very thing that God has chosen to use? What if the thing that you hate, you detest, you look upon and go, man, there's nothing that I can do about this. What if the very thing that you want removed is the very thing 
that God wants to use? What if that's the thing that God wants to use to pull you closer to him? What if that's the very thing that God wants to use to get your attention? What if that's the very thing that God wants to use to strengthen your faith in him? You know, the thing about perseverance is that that is the only route to having non-childlike faith. There's a lot of people in church world and you only ever live out on this level of like immature faith. You believe in God when the music's going. You believe in God when it feels a bit emotional in the room. You believe in God when life is great. But the moment that it gets difficult, you're like, man, I'm gonna blame God. I'm gonna call God out. This doesn't feel fair to me. This is crazy. What are you up to in this? What James is trying to encourage us is that when you have perseverance, this is your opportunity to remain faithful in the trial. You might feel as though you're stuck, but it's the very thing that God wants to use to mature your faith, to see you have fully fledged adult-like faith. Now, if you're a little bit like me, that sometimes you're a little bit skeptical and you can maybe look at life and feel nothing good could ever come out of this, then I totally get it. And actually, the scripture that we're about to read is James concurring that he gets it too. James concurs and says, look, I absolutely understand this because for some of you, the idea when you're stuck that God would wanna use that even though you wanna have it removed from you, James is like, I absolutely get it. So if you struggle to see the idea that maybe God would want to use that which you want removed, if you struggle to see that maybe God could ever be up to something in your life behind the scenes that you don't yet know of, that you don't yet see, that you don't yet fully understand, James knew that that would be difficult for you too. So he goes on to say this, like, look, if you're struggling to imagine that anything good can come from a trial, if you're struggling to imagine that God could use whatever it is that you're going through in life, if you're struggling to believe that God could do anything in your world in spite of everything that you're facing, he encourages you to do this. Verse five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, now what he's saying is, look, if you struggle to see what God could be up to, if you struggle to be able to put your faith in God because of everything else that's going on around you, in other words, if you lack the ability and wisdom to see that God could be up to something, and he's saying, he's being honest, like, this could be a problem for you, this has been a problem for me. If any of you struggles with seeing what God is up to, now he gives us the answer. He says this, you should ask God who gives generously to all, Without finding fault, it will be given to you. Now, the problem for me is when I feel like my life is in a trial and I feel like life is going a bit crazy and stuff's happening all around me, I'll tell you what I want. I don't want wisdom, I want relief. That's what I want. I want God to like come out of the genie in the lamp situation and just zap my world, fix everything. That's what I want, that's what you want. But James is saying, look, if you struggle with that, then you can ask God, and he will give it to you by sheer, by the sheer act of you asking God, I don't see what you're up to here. God, I don't know why I've got to go through this. I've got no idea why this relationship is collapsing, God, and I've got no idea that you could do anything good out of this. You're gonna to have to help me see. You know what that is? That's asking for wisdom. And James is saying, now look, if you wanna grow in your faith, you're gonna to have to be able to see and trust and have a confidence that God's working behind the scenes of your life, even when it's not obvious and upfront. He's almost saying this, 
When you don't see God's hand moving, you've got to ask him to help you believe and trust that his heart is still for you. And he's kind of painting this idea, if you struggle with trusting in God, then you just need to ask him to help you. Ask for the wisdom. God, I don't see what you're up to. Help me to see what you're up to. Now let's spin the whole thing round. Are you like me? Because I am always encouraged. I'm never really inspired the most by people who seem to be able to pray to God and then say they get the answer by God. I mean, that's kind of encouraging, but I'm not inspired the most by them who kind of live a 2.4 perfect life where nothing breaks, nothing's ever a bit messed up, but everything just goes perfectly for them all the time. And they, they sing all the worship songs in their car. And you know, every time you see them, it's praise God this, praise God that. That doesn't inspire me the most. I'll tell you what inspires me the most is when you hear someone's story that talks to you about the incredibly difficult and challenging situation that they're in, and yet there is this sense of a deep-rooted, quiet confidence that refuses to stop believing in God. Like that encourages me. I mean, my faith is strengthened more when I hear about the times when people are living through sheer hell and it feels to them like God's saying no. It's not the stories where God said yes that inspires me. It's always the story about the person that God's seemingly saying no to. Like they're in the middle of the thing and they don't know how to get out of it. Like they're in the middle of the thing and they don't have any options, but yet they refuse to call God. Like they're in the middle of the thing and it just seems like there is no hope, there's no way forward, but they just seem to always turn up in church and with arms raised worship. It's people's life when they feel like they're receiving a no from God that inspires me the most. So many of you will know of our story. And a few years back, my wife was diagnosed with an incredibly difficult blood cancer situation. And it absolutely, it like broke us on every level. It like, it messed our whole world up. We didn't see it coming. We weren't expecting it. But the thing is, is that we didn't know back then what we know now. And right now, you know what? Praise God, she's fit, she's strong, she's healthy, she's doing awesome. But, but we didn't know that back then. And when you're in the middle of not knowing what you know now today, it can feel like life is incredibly difficult. One of the things about um, chemotherapy is that depending on what type of chemotherapy you're on, it, it works on these cycles. And, and for us in our life, you know, kids were a bit younger, we're trying to lead this church and we don't know what to do with the church and we don't know what to do in the family. And now we're in hospital like all of the time. And the way that the cycles work on this particular pattern of chemo that, that Emma was on, it would work on a three week cycle what that would look like is like for two weeks man she'd be she'd be out the game I mean like she'd lie on our bed and you touch her skin and it would be the most painful thing and then in the third week she'd have five days where she'd be able to get up and she'd feel a bit stronger a bit better and on the Sunday that was on the third week she'd always say to me like let me preach, let me preach. I'm like, you go preach your heart out. And it was so inspirational for me to see and watch her get up because at that time, we had no clue that we'd even be here today. At that time, it felt like, God, are you saying no? Like, is this the end of the road for us? Like, like what is going on? But let me tell you, it wasn't the Sundays that she came on the third week and preached to all of you that inspired me the most. It 
was Sunday one and Sunday two, when nobody here would ever have known the pain to just get up and get dressed and get out of bed. And the way chemo works is it like it shuts off your immune system. So you can't really be around a bunch of people. And we have this little room that we would like sneak into and sneak out of, get her in and get her out. But, but she would say to me all of the time, she was like, I am not stopping going to the house of God. And I look at that and go, man, you know what? We have a bad week sometimes. Liverpool doesn't get the result and what do we do? And yet we see the story of God using somebody when it feels like they're getting a no. I'm inspired by that. I'm encouraged by that. And she would drag herself here and she would sit on the front row, sometimes not even able to stand. And you know what? She'd sing as loud as she possibly could. And I, I, like, it was just the most beautiful, amazing thing to watch because I'm inspired the most by people who go through trials and difficulties and pain and problems and yet still refuse to stop putting their confidence in God. That's where perseverance is added to your faith. That's where your faith starts to mature. That's where your faith starts to become somewhat more adult-like. It's in the trials, it's in the difficulty, it's in the rain, it's in the storm, it's in the breakdown, it's in the, it's in the financial chaos, it's in the carnage. And I just want you to know that there is a reason for your pain, there's a reason for your problem and you might not like it, but you're not called to like it sometimes it brings us to a place where we offer up a prayer. And I'm gonna teach you, Emma, and well, this was our prayer. We would pray through that entire season when it felt like, I don't know if we're getting a no, I don't know if we're ever gonna get out of this, I don't know if we're ever gonna get beyond this. I wanna teach you the prayer. And the prayer was just one line. And this prayer was the one thing that got me through, it got us through, it held us together. And I think that James would encourage us to pray this prayer as well, because this is the prayer that I want you to learn. And then we're gonna read the Scripture together again. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove it. James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you can ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. It is the blessing of being stuck that you can find the joy that you would never otherwise find unless you are stuck in the first place. So Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.